Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 1 through 39. Take a moment to turn to the text in your Bible to follow along, and the reading will also be on the screen behind me. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Mon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was sharing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited, and Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers, and give it to men who come from I do not know where. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by day and by night, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master, and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sears of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God, do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. 
When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is Nabal, is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servants, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battle of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken, concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Vivian. You can be seated now. Well, again, if you're new, I want to welcome you to the Parks Church. This is what we do here at the Parks. We preach through books of the Bible, and we are making our way, as you probably guessed it, through 1 Samuel. 
And uh, anytime we read a long portion of scripture like that, it's good for us to understand we don't just sit under the teaching of God's word. Uh, we also sit under the reading of God's word. And the spirit of God is alive even in uh, the reading of God's word. And, and for the teaching part of God's word, it's uh, my privilege uh, to have a guest teacher here, uh, Dr. Gary Brandenburg. And I want to introduce him uh, this morning. He has over 40 years of uh, pastoral experience with the last being in uh, Fellowship Bible Church uh, in Dallas. I was able to spend uh, about two weeks with uh, Dr. Brandenburg on a trip to Israel last year. And, and on that trip, I, I learned a lot of things about Gary, but uh, uh, the things that I, I took away most were this, uh, that, that this man uh, loves Jesus with his whole heart. He, he loves uh, the local church. Uh, he loves the Word of God. He is a phenomenal Bible teacher, and it's a gift that we have him. And you know somebody's a Bible teacher when, when you invite them to come and, and be a guest speaker, and, and they, they don't just pull one out from, from their past. They go, where are you at in the text? And I was like, all right, let's do it, right? 1 Samuel 25, and then he's like, wait a minute, not all the way through the end, okay? And, uh, and so, no, he's going to teach, as you, you, we just read, 1 Samuel uh, 25. Uh, but, but the fourth thing I observed is this, that he has been married to his wife, uh, Jana, for 45 years. And so this is a man who loves Jesus, he loves the church, he loves the Word of God, and he loves his wife. And so, so thrilled to have him this morning. So would you give a Parks welcome to Dr. Gary Brandenburg. Thank you, Kyle, very much. Uh, I got a little nervous when he said, I learned a lot about Gary, and then he smiled. I don't know what, what that was about. I told him last service, that's the second best introduction I've ever experienced. Uh, the best introduction I ever experienced was one time I was supposed to give the invocation at a banquet, and I was sitting with the MC, and just before I went up to pray, he leans over to me and he says, hey, I don't know anything about you. He said, nobody gave me a bio or anything, so when you get up there, would you just introduce yourself? Now that was a great introduction. That was, that was really good. Um, I don't have a very impressive resume, but uh, I, I want to start out by uh, telling you about somebody who does. Uh, my friend Mike was the CEO of uh, Macy's, and following his time with Macy's, he became CEO of Duty Free Shopping. And following his time with Duty Free Shopping, he became CEO of uh, Louis Vuitton. Uh, when I met Mike here in the Dallas area, uh, he and his family started coming to our church because he was also chairman of the board of Mercy Ships, uh, the organization that I now work for. Uh, and at the time, he was also chairman of the board of a very little company called Starbucks. And so I got to know Mike really, really well, and we spent a lot of time together. And I always enjoyed meeting him at Starbucks for some coffee because I always liked it when he would go up and order a coffee. And I would think to myself, I wonder if they know. Yeah. But Mike's a pretty driven CEO-type guy, so he'd up, be up at 4.30 every morning, and he would do a little work, and then he would go to the nearest Starbucks. And he would get there at 6 a.m. when they open up, and his habit, very simply, was to go in and get some coffee, and he would grab a Wall Street Journal, and he'd go over the business section uh, while he had his coffee in the morning. Well, one particular morning, he came to uh, the nearest Starbucks, and Mike, uh, you should know, is a bit, he's disabled. He's He's got uh, problems, uh, they really still don't know why, but he has a hard time walking, has a very severe limp, and he has little use of one of his arms. And so he, he comes down the street, and he had on an old kind of, he just threw on an old jacket. It was a morning like this morning, very cool morning. And he had, so, you know, he could be mistaken for somebody that was living on the street. 
And so there he is waiting for Starbucks to open, the chairman of the board, and uh, it's 6 a.m. and it's not open. And the newspapers have been delivered, uh, so Mike reaches down and, and to get a newspaper while he's waiting, and he hears someone coming down the street, and they said, hey, don't you be stealing those papers. He's a little shocked. He said, well, I wasn't I was going to pay for it. Well, it turns out the person who said that was the manager of the Starbucks. And so the manager comes and unlocks the door um, and walks in. Mike follows, and Mike says, uh, hey, I, I thought Starbucks opened at 6. Manager says, Starbucks does open at 6. And he said, well, it's, it's like 6.17. Why wasn't it open at 6? Manager made a very serious mistake. <laughs> Manager just turned to him and said, well, that's none of your business. Um, I won't tell you how the story ends except for the fact that uh, that was a very short career for that manager. Uh, but I will tell you that the moral of that story is to treat all people with respect because you never know when the person you insult has the power to take you out. That's not only the story of Mike, but that's the story, one of the themes here in 1 Samuel 25. In 1 Samuel 25, we meet a man named Nabal. In Hebrew, it's Nabal, and Nabal in Hebrew means fool. Uh, you're going to see that this guy lives up to his name. Uh, and then it's also two other characters, David and Nabal's wife, Abigail. So we're going to look at these three characters here in the time that we have, and they represent three particular lifestyles. You'll recognize these. These are common, two of them are very common lifestyles. One of them is an uncommon lifestyle. And my hope is, is as we sit under the authority of God's word, that we'll be motivated to, to live and to choose the uncommon lifestyle that pleases God and blesses those around us. Now, the chapter begins with the death of Samuel. Uh, you know, the whole book of 1 Samuel is about three people, Samuel, Saul, and David. Chapter 25 is about Nabal, David, and Abigail. And so Samuel dies in verse 1, and then we get into the story, and we're introduced to this man named Nabal. And, and in verse 2, we learn he was very rich. But a few verses later, we find out that he was harsh. And he was very difficult to live with. Um, when, I, when you read that whole description of Nabal in the first 11 verses, uh, he reminds me of a guy in the New Testament that Jesus talked about. There's a guy in Luke chapter 12, and Jesus tells a story about this man. And this man had, he was very rich, had a lot of money. One day he looked at all of his stuff, checking out his finances, and he goes, you know what? I don't need to work anymore. I got enough to last me three lifetimes, so I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, Jesus, in the parable, uses a word uh, to sum up this man's life, if you remember the story. The word that he chooses is the word fool. You fool. I mean, that's pretty harsh for Jesus to use that word. You fool. You Nabal. Um, you fool, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
Nabal is a selfish fool. But rather than ragging on Nabal this morning, I know somebody else in this room who's selfish. I'm selfish. And you're selfish. You were born that way. <laughs> That's exactly how all, we thought we were the center of the universe. My kids were born, I thought sure their first word was gonna be daddy. First word was no. <laughs> Second word was mine. And then the first sentence was, me do it. Me do it. We're born that way. We're born. Listen, you may be thinking, oh yeah, well that, not me. I, I'm a pretty good person. Well, let me ask you this. Here's a little test for it. When you look at a picture, a group shot, where do your eyes go? I got this cool picture on my desk of our time in Israel together. We're right there where Gideon picked his men, and there we, it's a beautiful outdoor picture. And when I look at that picture, do you think my eyes go to Kyle? <laughs> no. I'm looking for me. I'm looking for me in that picture. Because we're all selfish. We're born that way. We inherited that from our great ancestors, Adam and Eve. If you remember the story of Adam and Eve, uh, when, when, they, when things go south in Genesis chapter 3, one of the first ways that we know something has changed is because it says they knew they were naked. Or as we say in Texas, naked. <laughs> they knew they were naked. I remember reading that and thinking, well, what did they think they were before this? It's like she didn't have on a prom dress and he didn't have on a tux. They've always been naked. But suddenly now they know that they're naked. They were God conscious. Now suddenly they're self-conscious, and they realize that this, I'm, I'm telling you, this happens to me. I'll be talking to someone. Does this happen to you? you? You talk to someone, and you realize, if you've got any self-awareness at all, you realize, ooh, I've been talking about myself quite a bit. So I always say, if, I, if I'm caught in that moment where I've been talking to my, about myself too much, I, I always say, okay, <clears throat> that's enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? And then we get it all going again. <laughs> That's what happens, right? I'll never forget the day that we were having lunch. It was after church on a Sunday, and it was a gorgeous, beautiful day. And uh, we were sitting in a restaurant. I was right by the window. And just on the other side of the glass, some families were waiting for a table. And I'm just kind of daydreaming, looking out the window, and this cutest little girl, I don't know, she's six, seven years old, something like that, she walks right up to me, and she starts going. I, I, I didn't know what she was saying. I kind of held up my hands. Next thing I know, she's doing this, and I realize she's singing and dancing for me. And how many of you know this? If, if you don't like what's going on there, don't encourage them. But she keeps doing it, and, and I went like this. Oh. And then it dawned on me what was happening. The sun was shining off of that window in just such a way that that little girl, all she could see was her own reflection in the glass. And she was dancing. I'm three feet away. Had she only known this big, mean-looking man was there, she'd have ran the other way. But she was caught up in her own reflection. Guys, that's the story of, of humanity is that Adam and Eve took their eyes off God, started looking at themselves, and we haven't taken our eyes off since. We are all 
naturally selfish. Um, and sadly, we live in a culture that reinforces, even rewards selfishness. Uh, I like the words of John Mark Comer, his book, Live No Lies. He says, we are living in an age where sensual indulgence is a virtue and not a vice. You get rewarded for that kind of, of behavior. So uh, we uh, struggle with that. All of us do. It comes naturally to us. Can I just suggest to you, one of the, one of the ways to fight against that be around people in your life who are Christ-centered people. Don't hang out with self-centered people. You, you'll know them. Uh, you, you're thinking of somebody right now. You'll know them when you see somebody that's so caught up in themselves. Hang around people who at least understand that that's an issue. Um, I, I, like for me, years ago, I used to run. I, now I'm a registered mall walker. But back when I used to run, I ran with a guy who was a friend of mine named Matt. Matt was an orthopedic surgeon, and I liked running with him in case anything went wrong. Uh, uh, but, but, but I would run with Matt. And so I was running with Matt one day, and we're going our usual route, and he's on my right, and all of a sudden he just goes, whoa, and he stops. And I thought, what? It was it a snake or something? What did he see? He bends down, and there in the grass beside the sidewalk is a crisp $10 bill. And Matt just reaches down and picks it up, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you don't say this stuff out loud. But I'm thinking, why wasn't I running on that side? He's an orthopedic surgeon. I mean, I'm a poor pastor, and I could have bought two lattes with that $10. You know, you know how that goes through your mind really fast? Until Matt folds it up, puts it in his running shorts, and he says, another $10 for Habitat for Humanity. Uh, man, I was convicted. And I made the decision right then and there. I would never run with that guy again. It's just not, I, I, I can't handle the conviction. No, we, we, we're all selfish people. And Nabal represents the lifestyle of a selfish fool. Now, that's not where selfishness stops in this story. And this may surprise you. The second character in the story is David. David represents the lifestyle of the wounded victim. And I think Nabal is just another test for David on his way to the throne. He's already been rejected by Saul. In fact, you know from last week, Saul is out to kill him. Uh, chapter 24. Um, you know, ha have you ever, I mean, I know all of us have, have experienced this. Maybe where you work, maybe tomorrow, it's going to be, you're already sort of not wanting to think about tomorrow because there's somebody at work who seems to have it in for you. Now, they, they get a kind of a perverse delight in putting you down or constantly criticizing you. Some of them are really good at it. It's little sideways jabs. Well, David has been serving Saul, and Saul isn't just doing sideways jabs. I mean, think about it. You know, David used to have to play the lyre, the stringed instrument to calm Saul, Saul down. And at one point, Saul even tries to pin him to the wall with a spear while David's just picking out Stairway to Heaven on the, on the lyre. Uh, so man, this, this is serious. This is a serious business. And David has been a victim of Saul's jealousy. Surely, David has every right to be offended in this passage by Nabal's actions. 
And have you noticed there's a different David in chapter 24 than in 25, right? In 24, he does what's right. He realizes, he comes to his senses. He's about to cut off a part of Saul's robe. I think, I'm not sure about this, I'm not a rabbi, but I think that what he cut off on Saul's robe, there are four of these little tassels. Some of you have seen Jewish men that wear tassels. Those are called tzitziot. Uh, and those are very, very important because it, it sort of identifies what tribe they're from. And it appears that David cut off one of those just to prove to Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. So David comes to his senses in chapter 24. Here in chapter 25, I mean, he's furious. So he's, he's going he's gonna to take things into his own hands. And in verse 13, uh, David says, boys, put on your swords. We got some business with Nabal. And so he, he's going to go after him. Um, now, stay with me, because this is tricky. Um, Nabal is a selfish fool. David is the offended victim. But the irony here is that in David's response, we also see selfishness but we see the socially acceptable kind of selfishness. We call it justice. That's a socially acceptable form of selfishness. We say we want justice, but what we really want is that person to pay. What we really want is revenge. And why is that? It's because we are treated in a way that contradicts our high view of ourselves. And so this person is going to have to pay. Um, we, I, I know you've seen this. We've become a nation of victims. Everybody's a victim. And so Nabal might be a selfish fool, but David is a victim who is also selfish. And now he wants to take revenge because, ah, revenge is sweet. It's served up sweet, but it really has a long, bitter aftertaste to it. You know, whenever you want to take revenge, you might as well start by digging two graves, one for your enemy and one for yourself. Because revenge is not the way to go after it. I, I remind myself sometimes that... I, I realize, and would you guys be nice to Kyle, all right? Be, be nice to anybody who's up here, because here's the deal. I know this. 40 years I've done. I know for 40 years I've preached my heart out, and I know that after I'm done and people go away, they have roast preacher for lunch, okay? And, and so, I, you know, people, some people have been, most people have been very, very gracious, but every once in a while someone will come up and, you know, say something you know, that's offensive. And so you want, oh, God, I want justice for that person. I mean, take them out, Lord. Um, and then I remind myself, listen, I can't be offended. You know why? I've got no holiness to offend. David even realized this when he was in his right mind. He was writing one of the Psalms. And he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. God is the only one who has the holiness that can be offended. And, and we have offended his holiness. There's a solution to it, which lies in the third character in the story. Nabal, selfish fool. David, 
offended victim also shows a certain selfishness. And then you come to Abigail. Man, I love Abigail. Abigail lives the lifestyle of a peacemaker. Man, this, this woman, by the way, this is the gospel. You know, this points to Jesus. There's a controversy among theologians. Some theologians believe every chapter of the Old Testament is about Jesus. It's hidden in there somewhere. I don't take that view, but I do believe every chapter of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And certainly Abigail points to Jesus. Look at how, look at how she responds to all of this. In verse 14, um, she, one of the young men told Abigail, this is the whistleblower guy, uh, one of the young men told Abigail, Behold, David sent messengers out to the wilderness to greet your master, and he railed at him. Yet the men were very good to us. We suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as they were with us. They were a wall to us. They protected us both day and night, and all the sheep they protected. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. So like all wives, Abigail finds herself in, in sort of an impossible situation. She's married to a fool. Uh, um, I get that. My wife's here today. She married one of those. Uh, and she's married to a fool, so she knows she has to intervene uh, with David to keep from having him kill the whole family. So she springs into action and shows herself to be an unselfish mediator in this dispute. Um, first thing she does, notice, she addresses the need. This is quite a list here in verse 18. Uh, she made haste. He took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared, parched grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and calls DoorDash and sends them out to David. I mean, that's, she addresses the need, the problem is food. She's going to solve the problem of food. But notice, she doesn't just do that. She involves herself. She takes the initiative and she goes to David. Listen, would you listen to her appeal? Because David needs to hear this. So do I. She saw David, verse 23. She got down from her donkey. She fell before David, fell at his feet. And notice what she says um, to this man who's been offended by this fool. She says, on me alone, my Lord, on me alone be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him, but I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. In other words, instead of taking things into your own hands and shedding the blood of Nabal and all of my family, um, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought be given to the young man who follow, uh, who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord. And it's not a capital L. It's the idea, it's the Old Testament word, sir. It's a, it's a title of respect. 
uh, will certainly make you, sir, a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, uh, etc. And verse 30, and when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with you, then please remember me. Um, it's, it's a profound statement that Abigail makes, and it's a very perceptive. Notice, when she's introduced, it says she's beautiful and discerning. And she's discerned something here that we learn about much later. Remember when David wanted to build a house for the Lord? He wanted to build the temple, and God wouldn't let him. Do you remember why God said, no, David, you're not gonna build the house? Remember why? Because he was a man of blood. Apparently, David had a short fuse some of the battles he was involved in, God told him to go forth, but others he just, you know, he just wanted to, to seek out some sort of justice. So Abigail represents the peacemaker, and she represents the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope, I hope you know Jesus. I hope you know that what Jesus did is exactly what Abigail points to in this passage. Jesus took your guilt and my guilt from the offense that we gave toward God, and he took the guilt upon himself. And he paid the penalty for our sin, and he purchased a place in heaven for you. He became, big, big Bible word here, but an important word. He became a propitiation. I bet you haven't used that word in a few weeks. He became, a, what is a propitiation? A propitiation means to restore a broken relationship and turn away the wrath of the offended party by, by offering up an acceptable sacrifice. First John chapter two, verse two. Jesus made propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. If anybody would accept the Lord Jesus Christ all the guilt goes upon him, and your sins have been paid for. That's why one of the words that Jesus said from the cross, we'll talk about it probably in the next few weeks, getting close to Easter. You know that word, it is finished? It's the Greek word tetelestai. You know tetelestai is a, an accounting term, and it means paid in full. Jesus paid for our debt. He paid a debt he didn't know. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. And so Jesus becomes a propitiation. Oh man, I like Abigail. I, I, it's been great to be able to study this passage and I never spent a lot of time thinking about Abigail. But her grace and humility is such a beautiful contrast uh, against the other men's pride. Did you know it's said three times in scripture that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes us when we're proud. I don't want to be involved in that wrestling match. But God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what do we do here as we wrap up? Well, first thing I would say is this. Um, humble yourself voluntarily, or God will humble you involuntarily. 
So today, as we come to the Lord's Supper, we come to the table. Start by humbling yourself. Um, God resists the proud. Why? God hates pride. Why does God hate pride? Because every sin can be traced back to the sin of pride. I'm going to do it because I want to do it. I know what's best for me. Um, uh, Adam, even before Adam and Eve, the very first sin by, by Lucifer, the very first sin occurred when Lucifer stopped singing worship songs and started singing, I gotta be me. And that was the sin of pride. God hates pride. So humble yourself. Secondly, let go of any offense that you hold. I don't know who I'm talking to here this morning. I mean, I know the scripture speaks to all of us, but there are probably some people in here and you've been offended. Um, maybe you live with somebody that offends you pretty regularly. Um, let go of any offense you hold. Some of you have a terrible scars and wounds from the past, from the actions of someone who was a fool. Um, forgive them. Oh boy, here we go. Okay, we're in church now. I suppose, Gary, you're going to tell me, just forgive and forget. I would never tell you to do that. That's impossible. I can't forget some of those things that have been said to me or done to me. All of us bear the scars and the wounds of being offended at some point in our lives, being betrayed, being abandoned, whatever it might be. We all bear those marks. I can't forget that. I'll go to my grave remembering those things. But that's not what forgiveness is. I love the New Testament word for forgiveness. It's the word afiemi. And the word afiemi simply means to let go of. You just let go of that person. And when we hold on to an offense, you've heard this said before, when we hold on to an offense, it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. So let go of them. That, that's what forgiveness means. Let go of holding the offense and turn them over to God. That's exactly what Abigail does. And that's exactly what happens at the end of the story. At the end of this story, it's pretty interesting, verse 36 of the passage, um, when uh, David heard that, uh, no, and Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast into his house like the feast of a king. He was living like a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light, which is a good idea. He wouldn't have remembered it. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, this is such an interesting phrase, isn't it? I mean, what a terrible end to this man's life. He will always be associated with his bladder. When the wine went out of, had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Um, turn your offender over to God, and God will deal with it. That's why you all know this verse. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I realize as we come to communion, I realize how costly it is to forgive. As you take this cup and you take this, this uh, bread, 
uh, it's a reminder to us of what it costs for, for our offense to be forgiven. Um, it took the body and blood of Jesus. Forgiveness not only cost him, but it costs us to forgive. Let me just close with this. One of my favorite quotes about this by Jerry Bridges. He says this, Forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness costs God his son on the cross. But what does it cost us to forgive one another? Forgiving costs us our sense of justice. We all have this inner sense deep within our souls. Don't you know? You learn it from your kids, right? That's not what? Exactly. This inner sense, that's not fair. We all have that inner sense of justice deep within our souls. But it has been perverted by our selfish, sinful natures. We want to see justice done, but the justice we envision satisfies our own interests. We must realize that justice has been done. God is the only rightful administrator of justice in all of creation. And this justice has been satisfied in order to forgive our brother. We must be satisfied with God's justice and forego the satisfaction of our own. Man, forgiveness is costly, but it is the pathway to peace. So let's prepare our hearts for the table this morning. Father, we're so grateful that you have hidden the gospel uh, in the Old Testament and revealed it so clearly in the New Testament. Uh, Lord, thank you for um, revealing to us that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. We want to be on that side of the ledger. So Lord, as we contemplate these things and prepare for communion, Lord, just give us the grace to be able to let people go who have offended us. Just let them go. Lord, we know that you will deal with them in your own way. And we'll give you all of the praise, all of the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.